guys want to be turning in your Bible, Nahum, we left off chapter 1 at verse number 13, and about the time we left off, I had just read the passage from 1 Kings chapter 19, and the reason I did that, <laughs> Nahum is the prophecy of what's about to happen to Nineveh. A hundred years prior to Nahum's prophecy, Isaiah not only wrote what was going to happen, he wrote how it was going to happen. He wrote what was going to happen and, and what would happen to Sennacherib, the king. And he wrote details about things that would be there. <laughs> so, so we have a hundred years prior to Nahum, Isaiah, writing it. And then just prior to the event in surrounding Nineveh, Nahum makes the prophecy. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19 you actually have the story. So I want to reread a couple things because it makes everything tie together better if we, we put it all there in context. We were at verse number 13 where Nahum wrote, For God said, I will break his yoke from off thee and will burst thy bonds sunder. Then we, we read this in 2 Kings. I said 1 Kings. Y'all thought I said 1 Kings, didn't you? 2 Kings chapter 19, verse number 31, he said, For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, they shall escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of the host shall do this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, he's talking about Jerusalem, and he's talking about Sennacherib, who has encamped with his soldiers and has a siege around Jerusalem, not letting anybody in or out. And he said, he's not going to come in this city. He's not going to shoot an arrow in this city. He's not going to come before it with a shield, nor cast a bank against it. If you remember, I talked last week about the, the propaganda specialists, if you will. They had sent propaganda into Jerusalem, telling the people, you need to give up. You need to turn against Hezekiah. He's, he's telling you your God's going to save you. Look at the gods of all the nations around you. Their gods couldn't save them, and your God can't save you. So they're, they're putting all in, saying no God can protect you from us. And still 2 Kings chapter 19, verse number 33, God said, by the way he came, by the same shall he return. God said, the way that he came and surrounded this city, I'm going to send him home on the same path. <laughs> Then he says, he shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out. Man, they didn't even have to fight. Isn't that awesome? The angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians and hundred, four score and five thousand, a hundred and eighty-five thousand soldiers. An angel is a bad dude. And Michael is an archangel that had to come help an angel against a demon. So that means the demonics are also some bad dudes. That's why we need God. That's why we need to hand everything to God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We'll even look at that a little bit later tonight. <laughs> but it says that 185,000, when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went. And returned at dwelt at Nineveh. He returned just like he came. Now that was not a spur of the moment decision on God's part to rescue Jerusalem. That is not God all of a sudden seeing his people in trouble. God had allowed that. God had allowed that against Jerusalem as punishment. And now God is about to bring vengeance against the Ninevites and remove the punishment that he had put on Jerusalem. So, so 
Isaiah chapter 37, verse 33, 100 years, 8th century B.C., 100 years ahead of Nahum, therefore thus saith the Lord in verse 33, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city, and save it for my own sake, and for my servant David's. And it says, the angel of the Lord went forth, smote of the camp of the Assyrians, 104 score, 5,000. When they rose early in the morning, behold, they're all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, went and returned, and dwelled at Nineveh. As God said, God did. As God had put it there in, in his prophet. I know, I know I said this last week, but it's worth repeating. God's answer is never a reaction to the situation. Nothing that happens in our lives ever caught God by surprise. Nothing that we did ever caught God by surprise. And whatever God allows or whatever God does is never a reaction to, to the situation because God already knows and God already has a plan in place. So Sennacherib went back the same way that he came, he went into the temple that he'd built that we talked about where he had his little idol stashed away in there. In verse number 13, I will break his yoke from off thee. That's talking about the yoke of Sennacherib from off the children of Israel because he had put this, this siege around the city and he's not letting anybody go in. They can't carry any food in. So it's a matter of time until they, until they run out of food and he's and God said, I'm going to break this yoke, and I'll burst thy bonds in sunder. Verse 14, the Lord has given a commandment concerning thee, that no more thy name be sown. Out of the house of God will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. I read that as three parts, because it is three parts. This isn't the opinion of the prophet. This isn't just wishful thinking from Jonah, even though Jonah did want this to happen. This isn't just wishful thinking of the nations that the Assyrians have been so brutal towards. This is God's judgment. And God said, I'm going to destroy him in the house of his false God. I'm not just going to destroy him. I'm going to destroy him in that temple where his little trinkets are, the ones that he's been putting his worship toward instead of me. I'm going to kill him in there and I'm not going to leave a generation behind him. So you see, three judgments right there. God uses the one about the seed. He's not going to leave a seed. You know, God uses seed a lot in the Bible, Old Testament and New. We find the word seed 254 times. At least that's how many times it's in the King James Version. I'm sure it may vary a little different, but God talks about a seed a lot of time. You know, he even refers to the seed when we share the gospel. God calls that a seed, right? When we go talk to somebody and we present it, and he's, he says, that's the seed. And when we present it, the, he talks about the different kinds of people that, that hear what we're trying to tell them. He said, some people, some people, they're, they're, they're like, it's like spread on the wayside. They're, they're not, they're not going to hear it. It's not going to come up. But some people, they're, they're going to hear it and, and it may try to spring up but, but because it's out in the weeds and in the thorns and stuff, the, the cares of the world, what he's saying is that seed's going to spring and some are going to hear the gospel and, and that thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian kind of comes back. They hear it and, and they really would like to buy into it but the cares of the world choke out the things of God. 
That's a lot of where casual Christianity lands today. There's a lot of people who want to be called Christian. They just don't want to have to do the work to live the life. They, they want to cleave into the things of the world. They want to hold on to the things that draw. They want to hold on to the gravity of the old nature and the things that the devil puts. They, they want to have their cake and eat it too. Well, you can, but you got to do it through Jesus Christ. And if you really have your cake and you're eating it too, then you're having it through the gospel and the glory of God and the world isn't tied up in there in any way. So, so he talks about some of the seeds fell on stony places that they sprang up, but they had no root and the sun came out and withered up. And then some fell on good ground, right? And that, that fell on good ground. You, you guys are good ground. When we heard the gospel, we received the gospel, and it was a pleasure. It was a joy that all my sins could be forgiven, and, and I could be called a child of the king. It is fertile ground, and when the fertile ground, it, it springs up. And, and then because of that, through you, there is fruit bearing. Through you, there are others that come to know Christ. Through your life, Jesus talked about that how it would bear fruit, some a hundredfold and some sixtyfold and some thirtyfold. But the Bible uses the seed, a lot of different references to the seed. But here it's talking about the seed that, the, of the Assyrian king, which would be his descendants. And he says, you're going to have no descendants on the earth. That's a big deal to a king in those days. <laughs> I mean, that's what they built their name for and built their kingdoms for. They, they wanted to be a legacy. They wanted to live forever. And they knew eventually they would die, but they wanted their sons to reign in their place and carry on their name. And, you know, it would have been Sennacherib's idea that, that his sons would always rule Assyria. And Assyria would always be the power of the world and always be that brutal people. And that, that would have been his dreams to be remembered. But God says, that's not going to happen. No more of thy seed, of thy name be sown. The second judgment, we talked about it last week, about how he had built that shrine or built the temple. And that's where he had his little figurines in. Now, we refer to them as idols because he worshipped them as false gods. In all honesty, they're nothing but trinkets. They're, they're nothing but ceramics or concrete work or carvings or gravings or woodwork. They're, they're, they're nothing but, but um, little, little figurines. Uh, I mean... You know, sand art, whatever you want, whatever they're made of, they're, they're really nothing. God has nothing against them. God, God's not bothered by the little art or by the little stat. God, God's not even, I don't even believe God's bothered by a statue of a Buddha doll. It's not the little Buddha doll. It's that somebody puts worship into that. That's what is an abomination to God. The fact that, that somebody takes God's worship and gives it to a nothing. And he gives it to the trinket. So God's not going to be ill against the trinket. God's not going to be will against this, ill against this little idol. God's punishment is going towards the one that is giving away his worship. Worshiping something dead as though it's alive. And so God is going to destroy this little shrine, this little temple where all of his false religions are. Anything... Anything, anything, sports, work, people, trinkets, anything that a person applies a level of worship to is an idol. Anything that is placed in God's place first is an idol. I, listen, Rob and I had a conversation years ago. It's one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I started dating her at 15 years old. I was 17. We were together our whole lives. And she was always number one. 
period. And then God started dealing with me about that. I had her in the wrong place. God will have nothing before him. Now, it's very difficult to all of a sudden realize that I've, I've got to put my wife as number two, but by putting her at number two, it made her number one. Because that, that put God in the middle, in the center. But we, we had to learn to put God before each other. I mean, we'd just been together so long, we didn't know no better. Anybody else like that? I mean, you grow up together, that, that's, just, that's just the way it is. But anything that is put before God is out of place. It's out of order, no matter what it is. And then the third judgment, God said that I will make thy grave for the vile. <coughs> the expression there about thou art vile, that, that means that nobody's going to be saddened by this king's death. There, there's not going to be anybody there that even cares to attend to the matters of burying this guy's corpse. There, there's not going to be like a, a, weep of, a, a week of weeping and fasting and there's not going to be a parade in honor. This ain't going to be like King David where there's weeping and people are sorrowed and there's a, a great celebration of his life and, and then times of mourning and weeping that nobody is even going to care enough to, to bury his dead body. So if I go back to Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 38, it is prophesied that his own sons will kill him. It says it came to pass that he was worshiping the house of, of Nisroch, his God, that Adramelech and Sherezer, his son, smote him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Armenia. And Asarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead, but only for a short little period because God's about to erase the entire city. So, so God says there, there's not going to be anything there. And his own sons killed him in the temple that he had built for his gods. Everything that was prophesied earlier, God did it exactly that way. The way that he came against Jerusalem was the same way he went back. And God put him in that little trinket house that he called a temple where his little idols were and had his own sons kill him there. Isn't God amazing? So verse number 15 turns to a little bit more of a happy note that something new is about to be announced. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. That publisheth peace, O Judah. Keep thy solemn feast. Perform thy vows. For the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. Nahum says this is going to be great news to the people. There's going to be some rejoicing, rejoicing from the mountaintops when they hear the prophecy. There's going to be some people running and shouting about it. So Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7 says... How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. Man, I wonder where Nahum got that from. That publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Paul uses it, Romans chapter 10, verse 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That is your feet. That, that's not a preacher's feet. That's anybody that is preaching's feet. And anybody that is preaching is anybody that is sharing the gospel. When you share the gospel in word or in deed, you are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is, that is your feet. That is our feet when we share the gospel with, with somebody else. Nahum says here, peace at last. 
Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Judgment is on the way. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast. Perform thy vows. For the wicked shall no more pass this way through thee. He is utterly cut off. Keep the feast. Perform the vows. See, there's a problem with that. Hezekiah <coughs> has restored the annual feast. The annual feast from the law of Moses and all the feasts and the feast of weeks. And all, and those things are commandments, <coughs> excuse me, to God's people. And Hezekiah has put the feast back in place. And at the feast, the Jews are supposed to attend. Well, they got a problem there. <laughs> they can't get there. The cities that they live in are under siege. And nobody's allowed to leave those cities. They'll be killed. If they get caught out onto the streets, there's garrisons of Assyrian soldiers everywhere. So if they get caught out just wandering aimlessly, they're going to be killed. If they get to Jerusalem, there's a siege around the city. Nothing is allowed in. Nothing is allowed out, which means that they can't come there to worship. And, and although Hezekiah has put the worship back in place, see, that's part of Sennacherib's plan was to keep them under, under siege until the famine was so severe that they would have to surrender. Well, that sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? I mean, really, you don't even have to fight for that one. You don't have to go in. You don't have to man your soldiers. All you got to do is just build a garrison around the city, around the entrance gates of the city, and make sure nobody goes in. And eventually, they're going to run out of food. They're going to run out of water. They're going to run out of stuff. Sounds like a good enough plan. As a matter of fact, from a human perspective, there seems to be, to be no way to overcome that. But from a human perspective, you don't consider God sending an angel to kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. See, we try to figure things out from a human perspective. We can't see how. We don't have to see how. We either trust God or we don't. If God says, I'm going to deliver them, how don't matter. To be honest, when don't matter. I mean, I know, God, I got an idea. Here's how to do it. And by all means, do it before daybreak. Anybody, y'all, y'all with me? I mean, I got time schedules here. God, I'm, 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 I'm on to borrow time. And, and here's a really good idea. If you just do this, it'd work. But what we, we don't realize is God's got such a better plan that don't involve Jerusalem having to fight. That don't involve them having to lose men. It don't involve them having to go to war. It don't involve them having to get up swords. All that involves them is lay down at night, go to sleep, sleep peacefully. And when you get up tomorrow morning, 185,000 of them will be dead and they'll be gone and you'll be free. Man, what a God. It's the same our God. It's the same God we've got. It's the same God of our problems, the problems that they, they had. So, so God de delivers them because God just God does things the way God does things. God is invisible, but the evidence of God isn't. God, God may be invisible, but, but the things that he does are, are very visible. His evidence is, is manifest in his works. I love that song, Evidence, by Josh Baldwin. That, that might be a, among favorites of contemporary. I love, I love that song. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. I love the next one. It ain't just I see your promises. I see your promises and fulfillment all over my life. God ever promised you anything? God ever promised you something and, and then you know when he kept the promise and made good on his word? 
Uh, if, if we want to see the goodness of God, we don't have to look any further than the mirror. I see the evidence. I, I don't have to see God. I see the evidence of God on my life. Well, anyway, men, men deny him, but that doesn't disprove him. When, when men go about their way and they live in their, their wickedness and in their sins and they ignore the word of God, they ignore the destruction, that doesn't prove that God doesn't exist. It's just the opposite. It proves the amazing mercy of God. The, the, the length of long-suffering and patience that God has. Nineveh was made an example that there is an end to God's patience. Sodom and Gomorrah was made an example. There is an end to the long-suffering of God. There is a time when man will say no one too many times, and God will say it is enough. Nineveh is not just made an example to a nation that turns its back on God. Nineveh is made an example to, to people, it is for individuals to take heed to that God will not be mocked. There is a time when God says it's enough. Don't, don't take God's long-suffering and God's patience for, for a weakness or for a lack of concern. God's judgment will come to those who reject the free gift of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. God's vengeance will come. It's just not God's will that any should perish. So he extends and long suffers and pours out mercy and adds on grace. And, and he gives us time and time and time that as many as possible be saved. But, but thankfully, we have a message to share. And the message we have to share is not the message of Nahum. I'm very grateful that the message that we have to share is the message of Jonah. Repent or else. God will not forsake his own. But God will bring judgment to the wicked. God, God will put vengeance against the enemy. So, so Jonah reveals God to us as this merciful God in so many ways. Not just merciful against Nineveh, but merciful against his own. Jonah reveals God to us as this merciful God. Nahum comes in and reveals God to us as a God of wrath and a God of judgment. He is indeed both. I'm very thankful that when we go to friends or we go to family or we go to work or we go to a stranger on the street, that we don't have to present the message of Nahum to them. Man, you're a done deal. You know you're going to hell. You don't have no chance. You're, you're condemned. Your life's over. God, God's bringing judgment, you're done. I'm very thankful that that's not the message that I have to deliver to people. Anybody say amen? I'm very thankful the message I have to deliver is yours ain't no worse than mine. Your sin ain't no worse than mine. Your past ain't no worse than mine. Your life's no worse than mine. And if the blood of Jesus was good enough for me, it's good enough for you. If the blood of Jesus can cleanse my sins, it can cleanse yours. If the power of God can write my name in the Lamb's book of life, it can write yours. I'm very thankful for the study and for, for, for the word and for, for the promises that, that we have, that, that we get to preach. I mean, what a terrible thing to have to tell somebody you're doomed. You're done. You have no chance. Thank God for us that that prophecy isn't true until the grave. At the grave, all decisions are final. But as long as there's breath in the lung and understanding in the mind, 
there's the possibility of repentance. And, and that is our story. We, we, ought, we ought to tell that with great joy. We ought to be excited that we get to tell somebody there is a way. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Let me show you what I found. Let me tell you about my Jesus, right? Y'all like that song? Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Jesus is, is the way. And, and that, that is our story. There is forgiveness available for you. All your sins can be forgiven. All you have to do is trust Jesus Christ. Well, I love the story. I love the message of mercy. The message of, of grace that, that we've, we've received. And, and it is our Obligation sure ain't the right word. It is our great privilege to get to share that word. It's not our obligation to tell somebody what we've been told. It is our privilege to get to tell somebody what we've been told. And to get to tell them about the, the repentance and, and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now when you get to chapter 2, <laughs> the attention Shifts back to Nineveh, verse number one. It says, he that dasheth in pieces has come up before thy face. Keep the munition, watch the way, make thy loins strong, fortify thy power mightily. Now, that kind of goes back to Nineveh, changes direction. So, Lord willing, I, I want to pick up there next week because we're on a happy note right now. We're getting to talk about the good news of the gospel. We're getting to talk about what we get to tell them. And what we're getting to tell them is what happened to us. You know, it's easy to tell your own story, isn't it? See, it's not about quoting Scripture. It's not about being able to quote the Romans road or remember from verse to verse and walk somebody through it. If you really want to touch somebody, tell them your story. Your story is very personal. You'll be inspired when you tell it. If, if you're not, you don't have a story. I mean, if you've got a story, you know where you were. You know what happened. And you know what you've become. You know where you've come from to where you've come to. And now we realize we've got a long way to go. Just thank God we ain't where we were. So we tell our story. That's all we really have to tell because it is the goodness of God. It is the mercy of God. It, my story, your story, is the salvation story. Now, Paul said in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I mentioned it earlier at the beginning. It's not people that our conflict is with. That person that ticks you off is not your problem. The devil is. That person that grates your nerve is not the problem. The devil is. People... Oh, I can't believe I'm even going to say this. People are not the problem. That didn't even taste good when it come out. It's the devil that's the problem. And it's the devil and people that's the problem. It's not people that we're wrestling against. It's people that we love. It's people that we want to tell the good news to. It's people that we want to be saved. It's people that we want to take everybody with us to heaven so that we can be like God and not, in, not his will that any should perish. People's not the problem. The devil is the problem. Our war is not against those people. It's against the devil. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers, against the spiritual, against rulers of this darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and on the breastplate, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse number 15 is the one I want to get to. Shod, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Feet shod. Our feet are the beautiful feet upon the mountains which Isaiah talks about if we use our feet to carry the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. If we use our feet to carry the, the good news, and Paul said in verse number 20, he's an ambassador. He, he says that we are ambassadors of Christ. See, we, we are here, strangers and pilgrims, right? Foreigners. This isn't our home. This, is, this isn't where we stay. We're, we're strangers and, and pilgrims. That, that, that means that, that we're just passing through. That, that, that word there, ambassadors, means that we are messengers sent on a divine delivery from the king. We are ambassadors from the holy city, the place that is our home. We are residents of that place. You're not going to be a resident of heaven. You already are. God didn't say you're going to be there. He says you're seated in heavenly places. We are residents of the kingdom of God, and we are ambassadors sent here. We're no different than a prophet. Matter of fact, we are exactly like a prophet. A prophet's duty was to hear the word from God and share exactly what he heard. Not altered, not watered down, not changed around. God delivered a word to the prophet. The prophet delivered the word to the people. That's a prophet. Okay. God delivered a word to the people. The people delivered the word to the lost. That's our job. So we're, we're, we're nothing more than prophets. Beautiful feet. Shod for the preparation for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't it good that God's given us such a great job to do? You know, it's crazy. I'm, I know everybody here, raise your hand. God ever told you to witness to somebody and you started getting nervous all over? I mean, what is up with that? God ever told you, hey, go over and ask that person if you died right now, you know you go to heaven. You're like, what? You see the size of that joker? That main look? Kind of like Ike Riker told a story that time, him and an elder gentleman standing in line, and the dude in front of him just cursing up one side down at a restaurant, standing in line. I mean, he just pulled him out of the pool mouth. That elder preacher tapped him and said, Hey, buddy, you going to eat with the same filthy mouth you talk with? Ike's like, Wonder what my obituary is going to say. He says, big old mountain of a man said, sir, I'm extremely sorry that I offended you. It won't happen again. Say, so when God puts it on your heart, God's already prepared who you got to talk to. All you got to do is the easy part and go talk to him. But, but yet, we, we, we find it nervous. We, we, find it, we find it sometimes difficult to talk about the greatest thing that has ever happened to us in our entire life. Is that true? Nobody. I'm the only one. I'm a heathen. I'm fired. I will turn in my resignation. 
the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is Jesus Christ. Why would there ever be a hesitancy to tell the story? Why would there ever be a hesitancy to offer someone what God gave me? That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Feet shod, prepared for the gospel. If you put on the whole armor of God to prepare yourself to go out in, out in the battle, part of it is to shod your feet with the gospel. That means that, that it's not all defensive weapons. You got to go out and tell the world. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for the book. Thank you for the mercy that it shows us. God, I thank you for the judgment that it shows us. God, I know there's a judgment day coming. Lord, we, I, I know what Revelation tells us. and I know there's an exciting day for us, Lord, when you're going to step out and call home those that are the redeemed of the Lamb. God, I know, Father, we're so excited about that day. But it, it's not an all-happy day, God. And there are millions going to be left behind. Millions to face a judgment. Millions to, to face the, the fires of hell and, and the torment and, and all that goes behind it, God. But God, you've given us a, a glorious gospel. You've given us a great peace inside, Lord. You've, you've given us the answer. You've given us the gift. You've given us everything we need to go out and tell a lost world. So that every single day, the number of lost can be reduced by however many people we're willing to talk to. God, help us to be bold. Help us to be witnesses. Make us usable vessels. Father, we love you. It is our heart's desire to be in the center of your perfect will and please you and you alone. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.